You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. Augustus Cho. My guest is a singer, entertainer with hits such as Love Desire, You Should Know By Now with Mark Anthony, Sangre Nueva Pale Cale on Sony Latin Records, and also an oil painter. My guest also knows the value of community service and most importantly, a cancer survivor. We will cover them all. And with that... (laughs) The Fry It Up podcast welcomes an accomplished singer and performer, Tina Pena, but you know her best as Chrissy Ais. How are you, Chrissy? Hi, Augustus. How are you? Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's truly a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for coming on. How'd you like that introduction? It was amazing. I was like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, you that and more. So we're going to cover all of that. (laughs) How are things holding up on your end with all this uh, mess going on in society today? Well, um, I live in Florida, so I'm in a very kind of like rural, rural area, very quiet. Um, so it's you don't see a lot of, um, I don't know, like chaos or anything like that happening. People walk around with their masks, everyone taking care of themselves, following uh, what they need to do. And so, uh, yeah, but when you turn on the news, you get to see really what's going on in the world. And it's totally um, so different. And you have to count your blessings. I have to count my blessings where I am, uh, because in other places, it's not like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, I'm glad uh, you're doing well down there. It seems like Florida has been uh, less strict about a number of things than where Mm -hmm. you were born and raised. Yeah, I well, I was born, I was born in Brooklyn and raised in the Bronx. I lived all my life um, there. So yeah, and it was just recently, maybe three years ago now that I live here in Florida. So it's all, it was always like a dream for me to move here. <laughs> After my husband retired, I was like, we have to go. No regrets? Uh, no, I don't. The only thing is that I miss family. I miss family that I still have there and just the just the opportunities that you have in New York. It's so much easier to get to recording studios because you know where to record. You want to do videos. You know, it's more urban, you know, Um, here is just beach, palm trees. And that's it. (laughs) How can you stand that? (laughs) Palm trees and beaches, you know, you can only take so much of that, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. What was it nice uh, growing up in our Bronx? Um, I have to say, I loved my childhood growing up. Um, it was always surrounded by music and arts. You know, I had neighbors. I had some uh, Jamaican neighbors that were always playing uh, reggae. You know, I grew up. My family, my cousins, always playing. You know, Fania All Stars, Santana, all of that. 
Um, I, did, I went to Catholic school for the first four years of, of my school. <laughs> that was hard. But then my mom couldn't afford it being a single mom raising three girls. Uh, she had to then pass us to public school. So that's when everything got changed a lot. You know, then you, you felt like, wow. Like I was like, I don't want to go to school no more. They're crazy there. You know, it's a lot of freedom. Um, then how the structure of Catholic school, but it was good. I have to say, um, my, you know, it, it taught me a lot about life, about myself, about who I am, how strong I am, you know, and, um, and it's, it's just me. It's a part of me. And I, I'm sure as you get older, you come to appreciate your mother's sacrifice that she made to put all Absolutely. of you and your sisters in private Catholic school. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, I do. I, uh, thinking back now, watching my mom struggle, especially being a single mom and just making it happen for us, you know, like every week we couldn't have everything that we wanted. We had all we needed and every pay, every time she had, she got paid, she would say, okay, this week we'll buy you something. And next week she would buy my sister Patricia. And then the following week it would be Michelle. But she always dressed us so pretty. She always made sure we had our uh, lace stockings and our bonnet hats for Easter because back then you wore gloves. Everyone was dressed so pretty for Easter and holidays. And uh, she wasn't much to take us out places because she was always afraid being alone with three girls. Uh, so she was very protective over us. Absolutely. And that's understandable. Yeah. She really deserves the uh, kudos. Yeah, she's now, she's laying, resting in heaven, you know. Um, she passed away in 2015. She suffered from Alzheimer's uh, dementia uh, uh, as a result of a stroke she had. So it was vascular, but she worked all her life till she was 65, never missed a day of work, never got sick. But she ended up getting, after she retired, she ended up getting a stroke and uh, that caused dementia, Alzheimer, and, you know, and, it didn't last long after that. So she, uh, I laid her to rest in 2015. You miss her? Absolutely. Because her dream was to be here in Florida with me when we got, when we bought our home, my husband and I. So she had her room already ready for her, but um, it didn't happen. But I, you know, I, I, I conserve her ashes, which I have them with me. So she still is here with me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you and your sisters are her legacy, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. Yes, we are. And the we older are. you get, I'm, I'm sure you have children now. And uh, as you mm -hmm. raise them, it makes mm -hmm. you really appreciate your mother that much more, I imagine. Oh, yes. And I always tell the young people that when I get to have opportunities and they're like angry with their mom and whatever, I said, we all were there. But remember, um, God gave us our parents to... Uh, watch over us and they are an umbrella over us it's like when we go out in the rain if we don't have an umbrella we're gonna get wet we're gonna deal with it. our parents try to protect us from these things because they know and so we yes we are gonna get angry with them but later on once we get older we'll appreciate them because you know they they saved us from a lot of the things you know and some some kids just don't want to hear it and they rebel but but if we have we could take heed for honoring them then we should yeah i think all the uh, wiser individuals eventually come to realize the value of their parents Absol absolutely absolutely i believe that 
and especially I have so much respect and appreciation for single mothers. I Me don't know too. how they do it. I know. I know. It's I mean, very hard because they're mother and father. They, they're playing two roles at the same time. Right. And often uh, being women, you know, mm-hmm. especially in her generation, just because mm-hmm. they were women, they got paid less than what a man would get paid. Yes. They would take care of children and, and just it's just incredible uh, yeah. struggles that they overcome. Yes. <clears throat> so Absolutely. I appreciate your mother very much. Thank and you. she obviously uh, did you and your sisters right because here you are today. Yes. Having a wonderful <laughs> life, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I have no complaints. I I I live each day content, um, grateful, thankful. Um, whether I have or I don't have the things that I want or need, you know, I have what I need. I may not have everything I want, but I do have everything I need, and I am uh, I'm so grateful and thankful for that. You know, so that's one thing she always taught us. You know, just be thankful for the things that you have because there's somewhere there's somebody that doesn't have anything. Yeah, I really like that phrase that you're using. Uh, you may not have everything you want, but you have everything you need. Oh yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's a uh, very pithy but very accurate mm-hmm. uh, statement of uh, the philosophy mm-hmm. of life that we should have. Right. And, yeah. You know, we may not need everything. I mean, I'm 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 a minimalist myself, and I don't really need a whole lot. Right. But it's, it's not what we have so much as uh, more like what we do with it. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, being being in a world right now where we have everything, access to so many things, like we'll turn on the internet and boom, we don't have to like back to, when we were in school, we had to go through encyclopedias. We had to go through every I mean, we had to do the study. Nowadays, you just go on the internet and all the information and you have access to so many things at the palm of your hands. Yes. And it also does not foster a learning patience, you know, it seems. Right. Right. Everything is so right. instant. Right. So that's why this generation today just has to have everything now. Right. It's right. a now. We have to have it now. Well, I hope all listeners who are young and, you know, have uh, been supportive, supporter of uh, Chrissy Ais are learning some different aspects of her life philosophy through this podcast today. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Sure. Let's talk about the little past a little bit. Speaking of that, your, your, your career. Um, you mm-hmm. know, there were a number of artists and singers from Bronx, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking Bobby Darren, Jennifer Lopez, Melly Mel, Grandmaster Flash, and clearly Chrissy Ice. What, what, what is it about Bronx that produces so many uh, talented individuals? You know, I, I think the Bronx is in... A lot of people, I, I believe a lot of people, my, well, Latinos, a lot of Latinos um, that came from Puerto Rico, I've, I've noticed that I've spoken to a lot of them and they, some of them have came right in through to Brooklyn first. And then from Brooklyn, they went into the Bronx. Uh, I guess later on, then everyone branched out and went everywhere else. But a lot of people that I know have gone, were raised in the Bronx. I think the Bronx has... It's, it's, I think it's so close, first of all, to, to the city, you know, it's like a hop, skip and a jump from there. But um, I don't know. It's just uh, I, I, when you listen and you hear where everyone it comes from, it's like, wow, there's like a thread yes. that unites us and where <laughs> music was, you know, comes from. 
And so I love that. I love that I can say, oh, I'm from the Bronx, this little me over here, you know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wonder if it's, if it's the water in Bronx or the pizza in Bronx <laughs> <laughs> that produces so many talented people. But I do understand about how everybody comes through in uh, Puerto Ricans, a lot of them come through Brooklyn first and then to Bronx. A lot of Koreans yeah. come through Flushing, Queens, uh-huh. you know. Then they That's all go to right. New Jersey. <laughs> so That's I, right. I do. I, I have a lot of friends that live in, that are Korean and they are from Queens. Yes. yes. So yes. true. And, and then at some point they all go to Teaneck or, you know, Bergen County, yep. you know, they all go out there. But, you know, still great restaurants, I have to say, remain in Flushing, New York, Main Street. So something's going to change. Food. <laughs> yum, yum food. <laughs> the funny thing, you know, many of them, once they succeed and, you know, at a certain level, you know, they, uh-huh. they leave the area and then they pursue quite a life like you have done. But in terms of um, commencing the journey at the beginning, many mm-hmm. of them start out in the big cities like uh, you did in Bronx. Yeah. yeah. So no regrets about that at all, right? Not at all. Not at all. I'm proud to say I'm from the Bronx. Now, um, were there other Puerto Rican uh, singers that came from Bronx? Um, well, I know from my genre of music Mm -hmm. where I started, which is freestyle music, a lot of, um, the artists, uh, were from there and they also then a lot were from, um, Spanish Harlem, Mm -hmm. which is by Mm -hmm. 116, 102nd, 103rd Mark, Mm -hmm. Mark Anthony, who was, uh, someone that worked with me in, uh, in my musical career. Frankie Cutlass was another person that worked with me in my musical career. Even Ruben Martinez, I got opportunity to work. He was like in the Bronx, from the Bronx as well too. So I'm just, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just to get linked with these people. Um, I, growing up, I was always in the studios around rappers. So like Africa Bambada, Jazzy J, you know, um, those people, like I was always in the studio because um, I lived down the block from the Bronx River Projects and a lot of the music um, that they would, the DJs, they were out there playing music in the street because back then it was like turntables were in schoolyards and in the, you know, there were street street jams that you would call them. So I was always around that um, that community of music growing up and so you know the beats and the music and all of that and I would cut from school (laughs) you know once I got to (laughs) you're forgiven (laughs) you are forgiven (laughs) but it's the truth that's what I did you know I have those are my regrets that I didn't continue to pursue uh, um, school I got my GED later on as a grown-up but I used to leave school to go and go to these house jams or these studios or these block parties just to be around the music and know the who's who's and and whatnot, you know? Yeah. You know, don't underestimate getting that GED because often getting that GED later in life is actually more difficult than going through high school when you're 16, 17, 18 with no other responsibility, just get up and go to school. But when you're trying to get GED, you got a full-time job or you're doing something else, you have other responsibilities. Yes. Get that to me shows determination and maturity and and other things. Because my mother. Yeah, because my mother, you know, when she was growing up in the, uh, I guess, 40s and 50s, you know, she's passed on also. 
She never got her GED. I mean, she never got high school. So right. after she came to America, you know, when she was in, I guess, uh, almost pushing 50, mm-hmm. she got her GED uh, from uh, North Carolina, Wake County, North Carolina. And that was a wow. pretty significant moment. Yeah, I had a, I bought the book. I started studying the book. I knew I was going to have a hard time with algebra because algebra to me was very hard. But I passed every other subject and I just had to do the algebra part again. And then I passed it. So it was hard, but easy. But at the same time, it was it was difficult. Yes. Yeah. When I got the certificate, I was so happy. I was like, frame it. (laughs) Congratulations. Don't underestimate that because GED to me is often more valuable than a high school diploma when everything is so much easier, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. You reflect your tenacity. Now, you say you always knew you you wanted to be a singer, right? I did. As a little girl, I think, like, I hear a lot of the stories of all singers, you know, a lot of singers that say when they were little, they knew they would grab the hairbrush and sing, you know? That was, (laughs) I think, every time I hear that story, like, I watch American Idol and I watch the voice and the way they they all have like the same story i says my god we all have this in common like we grabbed that hairbrush and we knew as soon as we caught, had the brush in our hand that we wanted to sing and that was me so as a little girl i always knew that i i i had a passion for the music like i said growing up listening to it i would sing to my family and gatherings because then growing up you had house parties and the families got together and and I was the entertainer. And then my sisters, they was like, sing me a song. So I would sing stylistics or, you know, uh, Michael Jackson songs or whatever. And I would put them to sleep. Then I would stay up and like hum myself <laughs> to sleep because I was like, who's going to sing to me? <laughs> but I knew that that's something I wanted to do. That's great. Do you think that was something that was uh, derived by your environment? Or do you think you were just born to be genetically a singer? Well, growing up later on, like when I would tell my mom I wanted to go to an art school, um, she wouldn't, it wasn't that she didn't want me to go, but the school that was School of the Arts and all the really good schools, they were in the city. And she didn't want me to take the train to the city because she was, like I said, very overprotective of that. So I had to go to regular schools where they really didn't have big music programs. I, I was playing oboe, like, well, I don't know how to play oboe. I was breaking the wreath, you know? <laughs> right. But, you know, I was like, but I had to take something. Um, but I wanted it so badly. Um, but like I said, my mom, she didn't, she really didn't approve of it, you know? And so I said later on, I said, well, I'll just have to keep uh, with this hidden passion aside she wanted me to do something else aside from singing she didn't think that singing was going to be a good career but having that in you it's like it's it's a it's an unrest that if you're not doing it you're not really um being who you were created to be and I knew that that was placed in me this plus my art like other talents that I've and gifts that I found out later on in, in, in life. But I knew singing was just something that I would tell people, I'm going to be a singer. I am going to be a singer. However it's going to happen, I'm going to happen. It's going to happen. But I never compromised uh, myself as a woman 
to to get there you know like some people will be like well I can make you a singer if you know dot 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 but I would never I was never going to do anything like that because I know my value I know who I am and um and I says well I that you know God can't follow that road. Let's go this way. It's going to take a little longer, but I'm going to continue to do and work hard to achieve what I want to achieve. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not reached the place that I plateau. But like I said, I'm content where I'm where I am because when I sing, I do it because I love what I do. I'm not doing it for affirmation or popularity or any of those things that are the world dictates who you are. If the door is open for me, I walk through it. If it's not for me, then that's not where I'm supposed to be. And that's how I look at life now. I think there's a life lesson in that, what you just said. Yeah, I've learned it. <laughs> yeah, not only in terms of what you just concluded, but also the, determina the determination that you've had to uh, work it through one way or another. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess that expresses your tenacity. Right. My, yes, my yeah. tenacity, my drive, my ambition. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the other thing is, in terms of you know reaching a certain plateau, mm -hmm. you know, um, if you ask any artist, even if you ask you know Elvis, do you feel you've arrived? I think they would tell you no. You oh. know, if you ask any actor, or, you know, have you arrived yet? They probably go no. You know, they, they, it's, it's I, to me. That's a ghost that every artist, whether in music or film chase, you never wow. really arrive because you never really know. You know, you, you feel right. like you can always do more, you know, wow. but not yeah. many of those people take the moment to look back and say, hey, I've accomplished quite a bit. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and maybe sometimes that's something that everybody needs to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, after and what is fame? Does it ever, uh, do you ever arrive at fame? Right. Right. It goes on, right? It just never ends. Right, so. right. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. What would you say was your first break into music? My first break into music would have to say when I auditioned for a group called Amaretto. Um, it was a three-girl group. They were already established. One of the girls had um, dropped out. So the, you know, the, the band director, he was searching for one one more girl, Latina, or she could be, you know, um, you know, she, they, they wanted her to be, you know, dark skin. And so I went and I, um, and I said, okay, let me, let me go audition for this. I really want to do this. And, um, and I got, I got the part. They, I sang what they wanted me to sing. It was with two other girls. I'm very, I get along with everybody. So I can be, you know, <laughs> I'm such a people person. I just, I, I like, I'm like, I just want to sing. Let's just all get along so this doesn't go nowhere. But there was just a lot. We did a lot of performing and we traveled and whatnot. But there was also that um, 
there was just a lot of things behind the scenes because it was it was the the group the song was sung by a singer that was not in the group and so the three of us were singing live but the lead singer was not the actual singer of the record and that happens a lot with female the three girl groups and then you own let's say this person owns the name of the group so we're just hired help but to me I didn't care I was like just give me a microphone I'm singing and dancing that's all I want to do but later on you know there was just too much going on and I said you know I had to step down from there and follow a solo career and by then I felt like I already had my feet wet in the you know on stage so I already knew I was all the jitters were gone and so I continued on until I, I had a found a personal manager who um he uh he was an investor in the more of boxing you know for boxing and whatnot um and um and he they, I was brought to him as an investment and he was okay you know this is something I've never done anything in music I'll go ahead and do that and so he did. He did his homework. He searched out for a, a Hispanic um, management company. And the same management company that was managing the group of Amaretto happened to be the same person, which was David Maldonado. And so we connected. And once we connected, then from there on, everything, you know, just started, you know, taking off from that point on. Good. So what was the most memorable moment at the time when you started out with them? as a solo artist? Oh, just walking into that recording studio that was built for me because they built me a recording studio and, um, and that was my home. And so for me, that was like, wow, this I can do, this is my playground right now. <laughs> it's like a kid in a park. That was my park. And musicians would come and they would write music and we would do music. I also had an area where I was doing dancing, choreography. I had another room where I had somebody there doing my wardrobe. So everything that I wore was original. It wasn't something I bought. It was something that was made for me. And I had my limo parked outside. So if I had to go somewhere, I had a limousine. So all of that was, that to me was the most memorable time, which was in 1989. And then a movie was created just so that I can be a part of it. I wasn't the lead role because I wasn't really recognized yet. It's called An East Side Story. But I was, um, I had, I was able to sing my whole song in the movie and have another little cameo piece there. And, and that to me was like, wow, for somebody that's starting out in the industry, that was like to me for a big thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, clearly they took you seriously. Yeah. Yeah. They, they knew. I remember when I sat down with him, he said, I'll put a hundred percent. As long as you put that hundred percent and one, <laughs> right. that one, because he allowed me and gave me the freedom to be creative as well. And to, um, and to work with different people. And that's where Mark Anthony came in because Mark was a uh, part of David Maldonado management. And so, because he, we were all now together, um, we actually, Mark was with me all the time in the recording studio, writing music. And then he wrote my second song that was released in uh, uh, Atlantic Records. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he also sang on it with 
to other um, artists. What do you think they saw you in you when they invested 100%? I think they saw somebody that, uh, that loved music, that um, I, would, I, I, I was a free spirit. When I was doing music and when I still do music, I am, um, I could be a little bit of a perfectionist in some ways. You know, I take it serious, my music serious. So if I'm going to work with a producer, I'll let them know I don't like this. That doesn't, that's not for me. Um, because if you're producing for this artist and you're, you don't try to make me, don't fit me into this box. I am this box. And if, if, people start trying to mold me into somebody that I'm not, then I'm not going to be me. I'm not going to give you who I am. And they saw that because I would, I was always bumping heads with them. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not me. You know, that's, I can't be so-and-so. I can't sing like that person. I have to sing like Chrissy. And so they knew that what they had in their hands was somebody that knew what they wanted knew what kind of an artist I wanted to be. I didn't want to be an artist that was only fit into one category, but that's able to do all kinds of music because I loved all kinds of music. Right. What, what kind of a persona did you think you were trying to develop at that time in 1989, 88? I didn't know exactly when, because like I said, I was put to do freestyle music. It was a new, a new genre of music that I, that I just thought I was open to because I didn't grow up listening to freestyle music. I loved listening to R&B soul music. I, I grew up listening. To, I love listening to like um, Dionne Warwick, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight, you know, just th- th- that music, the stylistics, all of that. And even growing up, I, I really didn't listen to popish kind of music. I always loved that R&B, you know, bluesy kind of music. So when I, what I really wanted to do is be like a ballad singer. Uh And if I was going to do anything that's going to be anything else, it would have to do like, uh, like a Miami sound machine. I love like Gloria Estefan, like, because the music to me, I love to dance. I love to jump around. I'll take off my shoes. I'll do, you know, that's just me. I'm very vivid, animated. You know, even when I talk or when people talk to me, sometimes I was I would talk so fast because there's so much I want to get out. And then they'll be like, OK, OK, OK. And so I have to be like, OK, like right now I'm being very controlled. So that's just me. I wanted that energy, you know, but for freestyle, I was like, OK, you know, so I, I let them have a lot of say so at first. So, so did you like freestyling at that point? I mean, yeah, like I would listen to, I love like cover girls music and, you know, I loved Niaja, her song, you know, and Sapphire. I loved, always loved Sapphire's music because me and her were very close in that time. They were, she was also signed to David Maldonado. So I loved a lot of her songs too. Um, but I was being, I was being molded into a freestyle artist, but they saw that I was going to be more than that. So we have to get her into to something like live musicians because that's what I love. I like live musicians. But of course, in freestyle, you have to do tracks. And so when we did my record release party for 
um, you should know by now we got all live musicians. And to me, I was like, why? I would forget my lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) You know you arrive when they have live music for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are live. You get all the mistakes are there. But it was fun. They would sit down with me a lot. What do you want to be? What kind of an artist do you want to be? And I would always just say, just an artist that's not put in a box or categorize as just this one thing. I want to, I want to grow. I want to grow. I don't want to stay as just a freestyle artist. I want to grow into different other music. Into if, I, if it's salsa, I'll try it. If it's R and B, I'll try it. Just let me try everything until I can see. Wow, this is it. You know. It's like different outfits. You're going to wear, put on different outfits. You're not going to know what, what's, what looks good to you because you could say, man, I love that outfit. But when you try it on, you're like, Ooh, I'm too, I'm too heavy for that. Or I don't look good in this. You got to find something that fits you. Right. And you were seeking that. You were just trying to figure it out. In the yeah. beginning. Um, let's talk about the song Love Desire. Tell us uh, mm-hmm. the origin of the song and how that was put together and some of your thoughts. Sure. Well, for Love Desire, which was my first song, um, I wrote it, co-wrote it with um, Will and Moore Del Valle. They were part of a group called And Moore, and they were with David Maldonado uh, Management. And um, so we, they brought, they called them in to say, hey, why don't you collaborate with her, write her first song with her, and, uh, and let's see how it goes. Today, Will still has the demo t- <laughs> this guy this guy you go to his house he has like everything he the other day he calls me he says hey chris you gotta hear this i'm like what he goes this is the demo tape they sent me of you they said look listen this is this girl chrissy she's gonna start in freestyle music listen to her voice <laughs> i laughed so hard augustus i was like oh my god but we sat down and we were able to work together frankie cutlass did the beats and me and will wrote the lyrics and and like freestyle music is all songs of love and that, which is beautiful. So that's what the song is about. It's about love. It's about that finding that love that, you know, he's that passionate love, you know, he, you're my love desire, you know, and just the touch of you, you know, makes my body tremble and stuff like that. So we wrote that song together. It did well, but um, I always had resistance with, radio um at that time hot 97 um i I was called you know they kind of like called me you know uh payola or whatever because i had a manager who just invested in me in everything he he was italian so right away everyone you know has their own conceptions of things and whatnot and um and it just didn't I became an underground artist because the DJs loved my music and they always played it. And so as much as I fought and I went up to radio and I asked them, why don't you play my music? They really couldn't tell me why. I mean, if they, you have to pay to be on rotation, you were paid, but they just didn't play it. And so we figured using different producers would help so we got a producer that was more known little louis vega and um which was at the time very popular um very known in the industry he was married to la india india and uh and that's when we collaborated and mark wrote my second song and we went on to record that and get signed to atlantic 
What do you think was the real reason when you look back on it that they didn't uh, give you the airtime? I think it's like in everything, it's the politics of the industry. There's always that politics of the industry and um, like maybe I wasn't with the, I wasn't on the roster or of like the people that have maybe all the artists, you know? I don't want to. I don't want to throw names under the bus or anything like that because that's not a person. That's not who I am. But there was a lot of conflict going on during that time with other companies and um, and my management and company and just I think that right there was like so. This person has a lot of artists that will do a free show for the radio when they throw these big parties. And um, well, if you play her song, then you won't have all of these people in your <laughs> in your next show. And that's what happened. And I was always the one that never got played. But the DJs always played my music. And so and that's, that's a, how I got known. And yeah, that's a, that's a true litmus test when it gets played and people dance to it. Oh, yeah. Until today, people all say, wow, that's growing up. I have I have fans today that heard my music as a child growing up because their parents were always playing my song in their home. So that's how they heard it. So that to me was like, wow, that that person right there made my day just telling me, well, I grew up listening, singing your song when I was like five years old. And I'm <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Hey, when you know when a five-year-old, <laughs> you know yeah. when a five-year-old likes your song, that's a hit right there. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but but the sad part of it is that it was only in New York, yeah, where I was from. That's the radio stations that didn't play, but everywhere else they did play it. Like you know, in, in the East Coast, the West Coast, my music was played on the radio. But New York, and to me, it it really bothered me because that's where I'm from. Yes. So. But it's like that. I, 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 I was very encouraged by this group called Nothing But The Girl. They're from the UK. And when they did their song, I heard that their music wasn't played over there. But it wasn't until it started getting played here that they became really big. And that sometimes usually happens. Like you're, where you're from, they're not going to play your stuff. But in other countries, they do. Yeah. In the Bible, they say that there's a saying that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So that's probably well, what it is. That happened to Jesus, yeah. you know? And it's a shame and that's that... Where, that's that. where I, I get, I feel comforted. And now, you know, because I am a Christian. And so when I read that, I'm like, hey, I totally get it now. <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> it's unfortunate that um, issues unrelated to music has such a negative, you know, influence on, on the whole industry. Yeah. But you over, you overcame that, so that was just oh, yeah. very. But, what, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of uh, your peers, you know, they end up in Juilliards and all these other uh, artsy schools trying to become, to get the experience that you've, you know, ultimately got. But you fast-tracked it when you got that investor to invest in you and you had set, set you up a whole studio and everything. So yeah. that was really, that's, that says a lot about your ability. Studio, vocal coach, acting coach, like I went through all, all the trainings. And, that, and even until today, I still invest in my own taking vocal lessons and to continue that because 
it's an investment you have to keep doing in yourself. That's one thing he always said when he passed away. He's no longer here, but he always said, don't stop doing what you have to do. Keep keep training, keep, uh, you know, investing, keep doing all of those things. That's so, right. You are you are the uh, instrument. Uh, how old were you when this happened? Uh, well, when I did Love Desire, I was uh, 24. When I started in the industry, like 23, 24 years old. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty young. Mm-hmm. So you got yeah. to wake uh, kind of early. Yeah. Well, look at now. I'm like, imagine if I was young and now they have all these these shows on TV. <laughs> and the good thing is that, you know, people now they're like, why don't you go to The Voice or go to, you know, American Idol? I was like, listen, right now I can't retain a lot of lyrics. So when you go on these shows, they make you sing a lot of music. And, if, and the most horrible thing is that you're on TV and all of a sudden you forget your own, you forget what you're singing. <laughs> that would be horrible. You know, I don't think but you have I anything do. to prove anyway. So I know, I don't. Did you enjoy uh, writing? I do enjoy writing. I wrote, it's so funny because throughout the years, I, I love writing period. I love journaling. I, I have so many journals because that's where I put my thoughts always on paper. And that's how my mom used to find out all my secrets. <laughs> I would write everything on a piece of paper and she knew, but um, I always wrote, I wrote so many things, but Growing up, moving so much, I, I lost a lot of things. And even during that time where I had my recording studio and whatnot, unfortunately, you know, things happened and we lost a lot of the things that I had in my recording studio. Music, um, everything, lyrics, outfits, everything. I lost all of that. And um, I, I went through a period in my life where I got very discouraged and I kind of like lost that, that, I, that fire to write. And there's times where I sit down to try to write and I just can't. But then there's times where I just, I'll start writing and I'll write a song and I'm like, wow, I got it, you know? But I think it's back to going, I think most of my lyrics came from a place when I was always uh, feeling hurt. I think maybe sorrow. There was so much sorrow. And um, and I think those are the best time to write songs when you're heartbroken and or, or you're going through something, you know, um, that then you can write. Um, I haven't been able to write anything happy, but I, I always go revert to going back to some place where, and I don't like to go to those places. So I haven't, I haven't written in a while. Uh, I have some like songs that I've started, I have started, but haven't finished. But I think those songs, that's where I'm going to look to collaborate with other artists and find other people that can write and, you know, try to get a network of writers together. I think that's, I love being, you know, networking and, and doing things in community, so. Sure, sure. And uh, yeah, I think most memorable uh, music comes from people's individual struggles, you know, whatever the issue may be. And you can feel that, that passion, yeah. that pain, or that truth coming out through the lyrics yeah. or the melody, right? <laughs> yes, because that's when you can really sing them with conviction. Yes. When you have walked through it and you, 
and you've experienced it. And that's why when you sing something, I'm a person that I'm very passionate when I sing. And even late, even the songs that I've been singing that I haven't written them, I have to really sit with them and kind of put myself to experience that lyric some way or another in my head sure. so that then I can actually project it and you, convince you that I went through that. And we will be right back after this important message. come first or does the melody come first in your head usually melody really a melody yeah so I, i'll if i i start la lying like I, that's what i call it la lying right <laughs> and humming if i hear a melody then what i do is i grab my phone and i'll go to the voice notes and i'll put the melody i'll do like the humming like I leave that there and then I'll go back and listen to it and be, well, there was a time when I thought of you or something like that, you know? Wow. Yeah, that's how, that's what I do. I lock myself in this room and I'll do that. And so, and then that could be the last thing I did. And I, if I, nothing else comes out, I leave that there, but then I'll revisit it later on and I'll be like, oh, I like this. And then I'll change a little bit or whatever. Absolutely. But that's my process. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, I, I get that because I like to write myself and I get the premise and I write the premise and certain basic outlines, that sort of thing. And then I let it go. And yeah. I can fill in a little bit, just like, you know, the way you fill it, you're filling your lyrics and the music. So I think I understand that. That's so cool. Yeah. What's it like to work with Mark Anthony, the famous Mark Anthony? He's, let me tell you something. He is so funny. I <laughs> um, um, dearly, love him uh like my brother because when we were together during that time working together we spent a lot of time together so I would take him to his home I would take him to go see his girlfriend I was like the big sister kind of very motherly also with him go to the house do you have food he loved cereal go we would go to the supermarket stock up his back then you know now he probably has mansions of cereals and and everything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right go figure but it was really great because he was also his the ta- his talent and from the beginning when I first met him when I was in Amaretto I met him he was always with David Maldonado and I was performing in the fun house um with the group Amaretto and he, we were backstage and he was standing there real skimpy short with the little round glasses and his hair wasn't long. He still had very short hair. And he used to say, I'm going to sing. I'm going to be a singer. And I was like, yeah, let me hear you sing. Let me hear you sing. And oh, my God, when that voice came out, I was like, oh, oh my God. So then when we were always in the studio, just making up songs and just singing and this and that, I would always say, Mark, I don't think you know how huge you're going to be. Like, 
like you you don't even understand like what your career is going to be like or what is it what's going to look like and he would we would have nicknames I would call him sometimes Charlie and he would call me Kiki and he goes you think so Kiki I was like I know so like the world is not even ready for you yet but as time went by you know and years went we kind of like then you know I think it was once we got both into the, the Latin genre that they separated all of us and we all were put to do, you know, Latin music that um, I was overlooked. The company kind of like overlooked my stuff again, once again, <laughs> and they took off India and him. And after that, there was no way to, you know, a group of people surround you and they protect you from everybody else because right away, everybody wants something from you. But I've never been one even till today to go look for him or anything like that. You know, I just say one day we'll cross paths and we'll be like, Hey, you know, but that's it. But sure. From your observation, what was his strength that you knew that would make him, you know, successful? I think he had so many because he knew he knew what he wanted, how, what kind of an artist he wanted to be. He was a writer. He wrote music. He didn't play any instrument. That I never, I never did see him play any instrument. But he, he had a, a voice on him. And he sang with passion. He wrote lyrics. He knew how to write a song right there on the spot. Like, write a song. Okay. And he would come up with the melody right there. And write and start singing it. Let's go. Let's. Let's put it down. Let's put a track down. We we did so much music. Um, so I think that was, and then he knew, he knew the internet. That's when the internet was, you know, starting. So he knew how to, how to start creating things on the internet and what he wanted, you know, his, his publishing and all of these things. So he, he's smart. He was very smart as far as business in, in the business sense as well. So he had the whole package. And I think that's why he's, um, and he didn't have a problem with saying, no, I don't want, you know, to, to somebody. He, he, he would say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Me, on the other hand, I was more like, okay, at first, okay, okay. But then it would get to that point where I was like, no, you know, I would say no when it's already too late. Right. And he also had older sister named Kiki to provide him <laughs> with cereals for inspiration. Ah, yeah. Oh, my God. When he first started singing. And he would do shows with his band and he was singing Hasta Que Te Conoce. I remember we, I walked into one of his shows in, in a club somewhere. And when he saw me, he goes, oh, there goes Chrissy. And he brought me on stage. He goes, she used to buy me cereal. She used to make sure that I had it. I was like, Mark, why are you telling that story? <laughs> just, for the, <laughs> just for the record, what was his favorite cereal? <laughs> and I became very close to his mom and his sisters. Um his mother was such a doll. Uh, we used to go to the barrio, to the Spanish Harlem. He would say, come on, mom, cook, let's go. I was like, let's go. Because I had my car, we would go down to the city and go to his mom's and she would sit down and feed us and give us little food, something to take with us and we would take it with us. And with his sister, Lizzie, who used to work during that time in David's office. So, you know, it. We all knew each other. We've, we were very close. That's good. That's good. Uh, I went to graduate school in a, a place called Westminster outside Philadelphia. And there was a Puerto Rican student that started with me. And he uh-huh. said, Miguel Martinez, very talented guy. Um, it was a seminary. And 
we got really close and I used to go up to Spanish Harlem with his mother and we, you know, she'd cook for us and all that stuff, give us a lot of food to take back to Philadelphia. What a guy. I, I think about him often because um, I hope he's, he's a preacher now. I hope he is because he was wow. so talented and so intelligent, you know, and, uh, but at that time there was no internet. And once you lost the phone number, that was it. So, I know. Miguel Martinez of uh, Spanish Harlem. If you hear this, get in touch yes. with me. I've been looking for you for a long, long time. Okay. Yes. Call him. <laughs> I don't, I wish I could. I don't have his, you know, I looked up Miguel Martinez and all, all these lists of Miguel Martinez has come up, so I can't find it. Wow. But one day, wow. uh, you know, and he had a really a sweet mother and uh, she was also a single mom. So, you know, it was, I, I kind of get the picture of what you're talking about. Quick thoughts on uh, You Should Know By Now and then we'll move on to Latin music. What are some of your thoughts and recollections on You Should Know By Now? I love that song. That song to me was like an all-star it was really all-star. Mark wrote it, and then we recorded it. He pushed me to the limit for that song. Oh, my God. Oh, I so- remember work- working with him vocally. Like, I think from all my songs, that's been the one that has, um, he pulled all of that really out, you know? He would, no, 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 no. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to freaking kill you. Get out. Yeah, he goes, come on, come on, Chrissy. you could do it because he, when he opens that mouth to sing, it's like, Wah. so he want, he was pushing that, which is great because he challenged me to do something that I didn't think I could do or wasn't able to do. And so after we did that and little Louis produced it, then we went to the studio, George Lamont and La India and Mark did the background vocals on there. Wow. And then we had Todd Terry do the house mix. And then we had Angel Cabrera from the Latin Rascals do the Lascal, the Latin Rascal mix. So when we brought that whole package to Atlantic Records, to Joey Carvello, who was the one that was going to sign us up, he was like, wow, what a song. And so immediately they signed me up because they also signed Mark with uh, Little Louis Vega. They went and did a duo to release an album as well. So we were the three of us on Atlantic. But when they took the song to uh, Hot 97 to play it, because you have you need rotation, and you figure, man, you're with Atlantic Records, you know? That's a major label. Uh, and they went up there and shot the song and, you know, did what they had to do. And th- all of a sudden, we get a call that we had to come down to Atlantic Records because there was a meeting, and it was myself, David Maldonado, my personal manager, his name was Al, and and Mark Anthony. And the, we all showed up. And D- Joey Carvello says, um, the song recouped everything. We recouped, you know, sales. I mean, first week, you sold certain amount of records, blah, blah, blah. Um, he says, but radio won't touch it. And I plead with them and plead with them and plead with them, but we need radio in order for this song to continue because I had a deal with one single. If the single did well, then an album with Atlantic. But because they didn't want to hold me, tie me down, they could have, they could because it was the contracts were signed, but they felt like I was just an artist that they could not do that to. So they released me. And so to me, that's where I was like, I don't want to do this music anymore. I, let's go some, let's do a different genre. Yeah. And they're, that's they're lost, clearly. Yeah. 
yeah that's why that's why then they said well let's go to the latin market now that's a good transition so you went from freestyle at that point to uh latin segment and uh overall what is your feeling on that transition well it was great because at first we didn't go directly to salsa i got to work with sergio george and with Frankie Cutlass, and I wrote the song called Take Your Love and Go. That was the late, we created a label called Soho Records that was distributed by Sony RMM. What we did was we did, we did like a Latin fusion. I think it was, the song was way ahead of its time. I think that song being released today would have done a whole lot better because of the reggaeton, the, you know, that, that type of music. Uh, this song had uh, Latin hip hop because Frankie Cutlass used the beats of, uh, forgot the, the artist, but it goes, children playing, women producing, some go working, some go stealing. And then the beat goes, it's a real heavy beat with the with the drums and whatnot. And then Sergio George, who comes from Latin music, salsa, he goes and he starts playing a montuno on top of that. You still have it, Chrissy. Let me tell you. Huh? You still have it. You still have it. Oh yeah. So we put that Latin fusion and then then Sergio got so excited because Frankie goes, let's put some samples. And Sergio goes, could we sample in Hector Lavoe and Celia Cruz? And that's when they put, tu amor es un periódico de ayer. And then we had Celia Cruz, toro mata y toro mata, like samples. So now everything is live congas. So we present it, it release it, big release, beautiful cover. Because, you know, I love to do all my covers really nice, you know, whatnot. <laughs> we take it to the, La Mega. <laughs> and La Mega's like, like, how do you, where, you know, like, what do you categorize this as? Where do you put this? Exactly, because now La Mega has all of that, the music, reggaeton and all of that. And it's cool. Like they're playing that, but that song was way before it's time. So they didn't know what to do with it. So they played it at night, not during the day. It didn't get like that prime, you know, um, which I think it would have, because it would have gotten the younger generation to be more listening to it. You hear the song right now, you, I could re-release it and it would be for today. Why, but, why don't you, you know, because there's just so many channels you have to go through. We would have to re-redo the song because once RMM, um, Ralphie Mercado passed away, the whole library, the, the catalog was sold to Sony. Ah. And so, you know, it's just so many bridges you have to cross to get there. But I definitely would love to release that song again for today because I think it would do really well. But then we did that. And then again, of course, hitting that wall, I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) So let's do salsa. Okay, let's do salsa. And that's when we went and they put me with Luis Pericortis to do my Latin album. Great. So you were a little bit too ahead of the curve, unfortunately, for that one. But, hey, it's still a reflection on your creativity, I think. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, it is. I, at least in my South album, I got to write it. I wrote, I think, three songs. I collaborated with Luis Ferri Cortez, who, who is such an amazing man, a person. He was, he's a Christian. So we, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian during that time. I didn't surrender my life to God until 2000. So back then I was still very, you know, but I felt such peace recording and um, sitting under this man that I, my father used to play Fania records with, with Luis, you know, playing trumpet on, you know, and the patitas, el perro con la gatita. That's like one of his songs, you know. And I'm like, oh my god, I grew up listening to that. <laughs> and here I am with this, with these. I was surrounded by them because being work, being in um, RMM, you had Celia Cruz this, right there. You had Cheo Feliciano, uh, yeah, Cheo Feliciano. You had all these people, Imael Miranda, all, like being around giants. That I was like, wow, like. Who has an opportunity like this to to be around these people and like, right. and then they're pouring into you because they also they see you as a new generation coming up and they just pour into you. You know, they teach you. They're they're walking alongside you, like encouraging you through it all. And so to me, that was that was big. That was really big, but. <laughs> that mountain just keeps standing in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you spoke of your father uh, for a second. Are you, uh, is he still alive? No, my dad, my dad passed away. Um, I want to say now it's two years and it was really sad because I didn't see my father until the last time I saw my father was for my ninth grade graduation in Puerto Rico. My mom sent me out there to PR to live out there for a year. And I graduated ninth grade there. And I, that's the last time I saw my father. And then it wasn't until two years ago here, um, his family and and his girlfriend during the time, she was looking for me and my sisters because my father was at his deathbed and he wanted to speak to us, the three of us to apologize to us and to, you know, tell us how sorry he was for not being the father that he should have been. And a lot of the reasons why was because he wasn't taught to be a good father. Like, like he didn't have the example, you know, growing up as well. My father was a person that left my mom to be with women. He loved women, beautiful young women. And he was a good looking man, you know? But it's still, you know, um, he he lived with all of that. He found that I was a singer because his stepdaughter had a record. Wow. Had my record. And when he looked at that picture, he said, wow, this she looks like she could be my daughter. <laughs> yeah. And then when he turned the, the cover and he saw the song was Love Desire was written and he saw my name, Christine Hernandez. He was like, oh, my God, this could be my daughter. And that's when he called the record company then and was trying to talk to me on the phone. But um, we, we weren't able to connect. So they kept going through different channels. And it wasn't until Ruben Martinez called me and said, 
you have someone looking for you. Her, she says her name is Christina Hernandez. Isn't that your name? And I was like, I don't have an aunt by that name. And so he said, well, here's the number call. He said that has to do pertaining to your dad. And so I did. And when I did call, it was, it was about my dad. But the call was, I called um, one day too late. He had already passed. Oh, oh. Um, from what you know, he must have been very proud of you. Yes, because we went to Puerto Rico to bury him, his, his um, girlfriend. Uh, my father was also in the military at, when he was young, so she gave me his flag because they did a, um, a ceremony for him. Um, and then she gave me his Bible that, and she told me he, was, uh, he had surrendered his life to Christ a couple of years ago. And then in the Bible, he had our pictures when we were little. He had. Um, <laughs> I understand. He had cards that um, that he would write to us to tell us, you know, how um, he he felt like um, like while he was raising other women's children, he was wondering how were we, you know, three girls. Children, especially girls, need their dad. Right. I think your father's very instrumental in your life because you'll grow up looking for that daddy figure in, in people. Right. And uh, that's not good. You need somebody to protect you. Right. And so that you don't have to go through the things that you go through. And he knew that. But um, just knowing that he he felt remorse and he was sorry and, and how they expressed that to us. Um, I had peace and I was... I was happy, you know, and I know that I'm going to see him again in heaven. My middle sister, she, she was a little different and he, and he knew that because she always carried everything in her heart. Like she, she, you had to cut through that, you know, and she's the only one that didn't want to go to Puerto Rico. She didn't want to hear it, but eventually she did, you know, and, and she broke down and we had to tell her, you have to release him, you know, let him, let him, let him go because that's what he needed. But yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. And uh, I'm sure the biggest re regret in your father's life was not being able to be a father to you and your two sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was. He did regret that. Yeah. And that's uh, obviously uh, something that, you know, he has to carry with him. But perhaps in the next life, everybody will have a better, you know, set of parents and that sort of thing. <laughs> you won't come all that. So, you know, we we'll move on, right? And we will be right back after this important message. Lo nuestro está muerto. <laughs> All right. In terms of salsa, do you feel that the Latin uh, music is underrepresented in North America? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I can't touch on that because I can't really say. Like I, I'm back into the Latin genre. I I've gotten a lot of. Um, I've been promoting my 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 Latin music now. Um, I I wouldn't say it's it's not represented. 
why would you represented underrepresented yeah in other words in in america do you feel um latin music doesn't get enough exposure to the mainstream america i couldn't answer that i wouldn't i would i don't want to speak on something that i don't okay because uh when i go to planet fitness uh-huh i hear a lot of uh hispanic songs now in their okay. tv channels yeah than i ever did before so mm-hmm. i'm wondering if this is kind of a resurgence of latin music or if it's trying to make up for the past times when there wasn't sufficient you know exposure to latin music i think there's just there's a lot of latin music out there because as i'm look stroll, scrolling through when i left the industry for 15 years I was not on no social media. I wasn't listening even to I call it back then secular music. I was just listening to gospel music, Christian music and things like that. I didn't know who was out, who was putting new music, none of that. I didn't know who was what was March new music. I didn't know any of that. Back in 2016 when I came back into the industry that I connected again with Ruben Ruben kind of like was like telling me you know who has what out what's what you know whatever and then I got on social media and I was I would see all this new music and all this kind there's new styles of music like the reggaeton the bachata all of that and so um when I now that I send out my music and I'm looking to because I'm an independent artist and I'm always looking for who's who to send my music to i do see um i i see there's promoters in peru there's promoters in panama in argentina in colombia and i send stuff to and i go to their sites and there's a lot of music that's out there that i i don't hear here yeah. is, is that what you're trying to say like something like music that's over there isn't here or yeah yeah because uh, to me i mean the latin market is huge. We're talking it is. down to Central America to South America. We're talking millions of uh, you know fans and in North America namely the United States, you don't realize you know people don't realize the impact, you know, that Latin music has and I was just wondering oh, yes. if uh, you feel that Latin music is you know represented in the mainstream, you know, American society. I I think that a lot of the women in latin music are not represented as much as the men are because there's as i've been looking in let's say all these other countries and the radio stations over there there's a lot of women singing latin music but when you come when you look at them here like on charts and all of that there's only they only really categorize one person and that's la india she's like Everybody else is the men in the in the in Why, why do you suppose that's the case? I don't know. Like I really don't know okay. because there's uh, so many um there's so many singers there. I know there's like Easy uh Easy La Enfermera, there's Brenda K Star. There's um oh my god, just the other day uh oh I'm so bad with names. Listen, after my cancer I ended up with chemo brain, so you have to excuse me. No I'm problem. like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Like it's really hard. I should have all these things written down, but I didn't know I was going to be asked these questions. But yes, there is. I mean, you do your homework. Go look, and there's so many women singing 
Latin salsa music and you don't hear from them. You don't see them in categories. You don't see their music in, you know, represented as much as they should be because I think, um, I think they sing, they sound amazing too, oh, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. Very talented. Very talented. It's, it's yeah. a broader, it's a you know, huge continent. So it's got a lot of talents out there. You feel yeah. uh, at home now with, uh, within the Latin, uh, doing the Latin fusion music? I do. I want to continue to pursue it. You know, I want to continue to do it. I, I had this opportunity now to work with um, this great producer. He's a, a he's a, he's been uh, awarded Grammys for working with Mary J. Blige and Jill Stones. And he's done so much music nominated for working with um, Johnny Rivero. Um, and his name is Edwin Ramos. And he produced this last track that I'm, that I'm right now promoting and that I have out now, which is a remake of La Lupe. And it's uh, just the way he did the song in, in Latin soul and in salsa was so beautiful. Um, it's a little different. It's not like the regular salsa songs you hear it. I think uh, I didn't do like the soneros at the end and things like that. I just left the song the way it was originally recorded by La Lupe in the Latin soul version. And so I hope to continue to work with him on some more stuff. But um, yeah, I really like, I love, I love this music. I mean, I love my dance, my dance music. I still want to produce you know, maybe one track a year of dance music, but I really want to concentrate more in growing as a, you know, as an artist doing salsa and Latin soul, you know? Yeah, sounds good to me. You've toured around the world when you were younger. Um, you went to the United States, Japan, uh, Spain, uh, Canary Islands, Dominican Republic, and Puerto Rico. Uh, wh which one's your favorite place that you toured? I love Japan. We were doing... Um, we had to do like two weeks in this one location. It's called, it was in, in a hotel in Osaka. And the club, the nightclub was called Pata Pata, right? And what they did was they sent our regular, local band from here, from New York. And they were there for like two or three months. And every two weeks, new singers were being sent over there to sing. We would do maybe our, our, our songs that were playing over there in Japan. And then the rest were cover songs. So we would do the Carpenters. Uh, why do birds suddenly appear? Like in salsa, like it was so much fun. But then I got so sick because the food, I don't know, the food got me. First of all, all these musicians that were there, they were heavy guys. And when I got to Japan and I saw them, they were like this. I was like, <laughs> what happened to you? They were like, yo, we lost so much weight here, but we feel so good. Like they were, forget it. And they treat you so, so good over there. Oh my God. It's, we, I felt like, it's so true. When you're here, like you can walk down the street and nothing. You walk over there, they're like, oh my God. You know, you're like, ah. And I was like, that would scare me. Like I would get nervous. And I was like, no, no, don't do that. I'm your friend. Come over here. They were like, they found it like weird that you were approachable. Um, but that, I love Japan. Uh, Tenerife, I went to Spain to a, a carnival. 
the experience there was like because I was only there for 24 hours <laughs> it was more funny than anything so you have to be they have these women with those big costumes you know like the Vegas costumes and here I am singing walking down this runway singing and these women are coming with these costumes and their feathers were going right in my face I was like <laughs> I could imagine. And I would stop. I would stop and start laughing. <laughs> like, what is going on here? But that was fun. Coming back, oh my god, it was horrible because we had to stop in Canada because there was a snowstorm. And then when I got to customs here, they didn't think I was from from the United States, so they opened up all my. Oh, it was horrible. But it was it was an experience. It was a fun experience. Well, that's good. Um, talk briefly about uh, Freddy Lopez's TV uh, show that you co-hosted. Oh, that was fun. Um, that was during a time when I left the salsa. You know, I left. I just didn't want to do music anymore. And he was a, a big fan of mine. And he reached out to me and he was like, you know, I have a I have a cable show. And it plays um, in all the boroughs and in Puerto Rico. Um, he says, would love for you to co-host. And I was like, sure. And so I started doing co-hosting maybe for like two or three years with him. And then he tried to branch me out so, so that I could have my own. Uh, it's called the Freestyle Music Show, where I was going to, it's going to be like a, kind of like a, another version of MTV, but playing all just freestyle music with their videos and whatnot. Um, and so that was an experience and I, I liked it and uh, got to meet all the artists and do what you're doing, interviewing them. And, and it was, it was fun. I like, I, I was grateful for that because he kind of like, I, I love that, you know, God puts people to when you feel like you want to give up on yourself, they, they come and they're like, wait, 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 wait. No, come here. We want to have something else for you to do just to keep me entertained, right. you know? Right, right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, so in 2000, you uh, partnered up with Ruben Dario Martinez as a, as, a, as a production company, I guess. And you yes. put out an album called, entitled Tina Pena, a.k.a. Chris Ais, right? How yes. was that? How did it go? I love Ruben. Ruben is my friend. Ruben's a, like a brother to me. He's another person that wow, like you don't have, you don't find friends like him in this industry. In what sense? Uh, What's it like that you find? Okay, when I first met him, I worked on doing background vocals on a track that he was producing along with someone else called um, La Jara. And I did some background vocals. That's when I first met Ruben. And then years along, uh, he reached out to me and we, we, he was, we collaborated. And he says, let's work on something. I have my label called Nene Music. And um, he had his recording studio up in his house. He lived upstate. Uh, I, me and my husband went, down, went to his house. I would go up there like almost every day. And we were writing songs. And, and we were producing a, an EP called Tina Peña. Because I said, let's leave Chrissy Ais. I'm going to do something. I don't even want to use the name Chrissy Ais. Maybe if I come out with a different name, people will play the music because they'll be tricked to see, oh, that's not the same person, right? So I decided to use my married name, Peña. And my family always called me Tina because my name was Chrissy, Christina, Christine. And so 
I used Tina Pena. And so Ruben, we did the cover, we did the songs, we produced it, ready to release everything. And um, I got invited to a church service, me and my husband. And I walked into this church service and I felt such peace in my heart. I don't know. I, I had such an encounter with God. And, and I was like, Ooh. I came back to Ruben. I said, Ruben, I can't sing these songs. I can't do this. And he could have turned around and said, what? After I put all this time and this money and all, he was just like, you found peace. He says, that's important. Our friendship will always be our friendship. He goes, don't worry. I says, you can do whatever you want to do with the, with the songs. You can release them um, because you invested in them. Do whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church and I'm just not going to do this anymore. And he was like, okay. We remained friends. We always stood in touch. Um, and that's what happened. And then throughout the years in 2014, that's when I, I found out I had cancer. And I got diagnosed with cancer. Wow. Wow. Um, how'd you find out? So weird. I always tell people, listen to your body. You know, sometimes we'll say, I... This headache doesn't go away. This headache doesn't let me keep taking aspirin. No, go see a doctor. That headache don't go away. For me, I had right here in this collarbone, I would feel like, like a, always a throbbing feeling for like about two weeks consistently. During that time, I was doing art. I was, um, I developed this, I don't know what you call it, but out of nowhere, I didn't go to school or anything. And I started doing my own artwork. And I'm going to take you here, but these are some of the pieces. Oh, wow. I don't know if you can see them really good, but. Yes. Oh, wow. Kind of reminds you of Picasso. <laughs> but I did some of the, these uh, pieces. And these are only some of them that I kept for myself because a lot of the other ones I sold in exhibits. Yeah, look at that. That's that's awesome. That's my Jesus that I drew. Mm. You definitely are talented. And this is during the time that I had cancer. I did this. It's called Broken Together. It's supposed to represent my husband, myself, and just that's a lot. That looks a lot like a Picasso, but... Um, who are behind you? No, that one I bought. I saw this and I was like, oh my God, I love, but I could do that. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Just I, could definitely, I could definitely reproduce that. Um, so yeah, I, I started feeling a pain in my collarbone and I didn't like that I was feeling that because it wouldn't go away. Then I started feeling fatigue and um, loss of appetite. So I said, something's wrong. A lot of the symptoms that you would get, like when you have a flu. And so I went to the doctor, they put me through x-rays and my doctor calls me and says, uh, I, I saw something I didn't like. I'm going to give you some antibiotics and let's see what happens. I said, okay, send me, he, after I took the antibiotics, I thought I would feel better. I didn't, I felt worse. I went for CT scans and they saw two spots on my lungs. I had one on my left and one on my right from their series of uh, biopsies. After three biopsies, they determined and they had a cut, op cut me open to pull out a biopsy. 
and um, they found out that I had a non-Hodgkin lymphoma and they, I caught it in time. So I had on stage two. And uh, then I went through chemo for six months. I lost all my hair. Um, it was really, really hard. Sure. <laughs> but I, um, because of my faith and the people that were surrounded by me praying, it's so funny, and Augustus, but right before I went to the doctor, um, it was during December 31st, in, we had a night watch prayer in, uh, in my church. And at exactly midnight, I was, I was literally on the floor crying and saying, God, what is going on? I feel like something is going to happen. I feel something's wrong. And I thought I heard something say, somebody tell me, be still and know that I'm God. So I lift up my head to look around. There was nobody there. I looked at my husband. I said, who just came to talk to me? And he said, nobody and I was like somebody just said something to me he says nobody said anything and that's when it looked and it was 12 o'clock midnight then I had a dream that my pastor's wife who happened to be working oncology she was sitting standing by my doorway and I says Melissa I have cancer and she said so when I went to the doctor and they started doing these tests and all of that it so happened to that when finally they had to give me the diagnosis, they said, um, I did have cancer. And so I, people thought I was in denial because I was always joyful. I wasn't crying. I wasn't making like making this like, oh my God. What I did was I, I started a page called, and as I walked through this valley on Facebook and I, put my journey every day like every day I, when I would go to chemo when I was doing taking up blood work like I wrote scriptures that brought hope to me I encouraged people and I started speaking to a lot of people that were in Africa and Europe and all kinds of places were sending me messages and I was able to um, encourage them as they were going through their cancer so I I knew that it wasn't about me that it was something much bigger um and so, and even today, it, I do, I still, if somebody says they have cancer, I call them, even if I don't know them. I says, send me your number. I want to talk to you. And I, I talk to them. I've had, I've had artists in the freestyle genre that their parents have had cancer in. And I've called them and sing worship songs with them to help them to get through it. Um, so, yeah, Give it was me hard. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for anyone going through what you went through? I, I'm, I'm going to say what I tell everyone. I say you, you have to have a, have hope. If you lose hope, that's it. You're not, you're going to give up because there were moments when I was going through this horrible pain. I had blisters in my mouth. I couldn't eat. Um, the pain to somebody to just go, just touch me was, I couldn't, I couldn't have anyone touch me. Um, so you, you give, some people have, can't go through that. I've had a friend that she couldn't take the, she couldn't take the medicine anymore. She wanted to go holistic as well. And, but you need, you need to put that poison inside you to kill that other poison that's in you, you know? 
And so, but I always say, surround yourself with people that are not going to feel sorry for you. Cause that's what I did. If my friends were going to come visit me, I was like, don't feel, if you're going to come here to go like, Oh my God, then don't come. I'd rather you just not see me this way because you trans, you transform into, I would look at myself in the mirror and I could (laughs) have said, Oh my God. And cried and said, I can't no more. God, just take me. Or I can just say, oh my God, I'm, I'm a, my, like my husband says, you're a caterpillar. You're going, you're in a cocoon when a caterpillar, a butterfly is so beautiful, but the process it has to go through to become a butterfly is not pretty. Right. So that to me was, that was the word my husband gave me. And then I would, I was able to look to say, wow, you know, one day I'm not going to look like that, you know? But prayer, pray, 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 and surround yourself with people that are going to bring hope to you, not um, not make you feel worse. Well, you've overcome it, which is absolutely uh, great, and uh, you're still strong. Um, what's next for for Chrissy Ais? Well, I I I hope to work again with the Santana Twins, which I did work. I did a song when I came out, came back, I surfaced back in 2015. Um, I worked with Ruben on on two more tracks and uh, then they they connected me with the Santana Twins, which I released all these memories. That was my comeback freestyle song. And I will be working with them again and uh, releasing more Latin music and whatever projects that, I always say whatever God wants me to do, you know, and who he sends my way. Um, um i that's what i'm gonna do how can anybody get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you oh they can go to my website my website has all the connections to get to me so it's chrissy i-e-e-c-e.com and uh from there they can follow me on facebook instagram and uh twitter excellent excellent well chrissy thank you very much for sharing your life with us Oh, Augustus, thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. And we obviously, we wish you continued success. Thank you. And with that, this is Augustus Cho, over and out. Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World, Tips for Those Who Want to Save a Buck. This book provides step-by-step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it, and I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble.